When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Abdul Osman against Brad Jones to put Liverpool out of the cup and not that to three! Hello, Charles here. Thanks very much for pressing play. No, this is not your normal Cobblers to Me episode, but that's fine. We're still bringing you those. Every Tuesday, a new episode will be coming out where myself, Danny, Neil, Chessie will be getting together and basically, probably, talking nonsense. There's no football for the foreseeable future, but that doesn't mean that we can't do something to entertain you. And that's what this is all about. This is a brand new series from us uh, called Memory Lane. And in this series, we're going to be speaking to you, the Cobblers fans, to find out what your favourite memories are of your time supporting the Cobblers. It may be a favourite player, a favourite match, a favourite season, or even just a favourite goal, or something small that's happened in your time that you cherish and that you would really like to talk about. You're going to be hearing from some voices who may be familiar to you and some which may not and you might be hearing for the first time. But that's okay because the one thing that they all have in common is their love of Northampton Town Football Club. On this episode of Memory Lane, I'm speaking to a fan whose voice is probably quite familiar to you. 
He's the head of media at the Cobblers and has been supporting the club for over 30 years. So sit back and relax as we find out what Gareth Wilshire has chosen as his favourite Cobblers memory. I've gone back to a time when I was not an employee of the club, but, but a supporter. And it, it's the season I first went to matches on a regular basis. I had been going to matches on and off for a few years beforehand. But um, this is the season when, as a 13-year-old, I went to pretty much all the home games and some away games. It's the 1986-87 Division 4 title-winning season. Oh, what, what a season that was. Unfortunately, I'm a bit too young to remember it. Sorry <laughs> to tell you that, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously a season that has gone down in history and, and was obviously brought up fairly recently when Chris Wilder was in charge and and we also, you know, waltzed the league uh, in 2016. Um, I mean, if you look and try and compare the two, which one would you say was better? It's a very difficult question because football really has changed a, a lot of the a lot of the success of, of the Graham Carr team and, and I remember um, going back to I recall a feature Saint and Greaves you did when they used to have, you're probably too young for this Charles as well but they used to have <laughs> a, um, on ITV every every Saturday lunchtime about one o'clock they'd have a, a football preview show and they'd preview the day's games and look back on on you know, talking points from the last week. And I used to just have time to watch it before walking to the ground um, and, and watching the game in the afternoon. And they, they did a feature on, on the cobblers and um, it was to the theme of status quo in the army now. And, and their, the whole idea of the theme was it was purely based, the cobbler's style was based on fitness and power. Um, and a lot of the success was because they were fitter and just more powerful than a lot of the sides they came against. Now, there were some really good players in that side as well that I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to. But um, now I think you... You know, all sides are fit and powerful and strong, whereas in those days, perhaps that really was a, an advantage for, for, for Graham Carr's team. Um, so, um, yeah, it, for my own personal memories, I, I remember it used to cost me a pound a game as an under 16, under 14, whatever it was at the time. And I used to stand in what was called the family enclosure at the county ground, which it wasn't like the Grains and Walkies family area we've got today with face painting and fun and games and Clarence and all. It was literally just an open terrace that was cheaper for children to, to, to get into than other parts of the ground. So, um, But yeah, a pound a game and we ended the season with almost 100 points, over 100 goals. And so it, it wasn't bad value. No, I, I mean, I, I've watched many a highlight on YouTube, of course, that, that lots of great occasions that were obviously throughout that season. I, I was looking at it earlier, actually, because I thought, I, because we're speaking about it, I'm going to look into it a little bit more detail. I'm actually quite surprised to see that out of all the games that, that we played, so the, the record for the actual season was we won 30, drew nine and lost seven, finishing on 99 points, which was nine points clear of um, Preston, uh, who came second. Um, 20 points clear of third place South End, which is absolutely amazing to have been so far ahead, I think, over the course of a whole season, basically doing what Liverpool are doing now in the Premier League, if they're allowed to win it, of course. Um, but four of the losses, four of those seven losses, they actually came in the last 10 games. Do, do you think that there was an element of, of taking the foot off the gas towards the end? Possibly. Um, there was a period from about October through to about February where they were just unplayable. Um, 
all of the home games were three one wins, four one wins, four two wins. They, I think there was a five nil away win or two in there as well, and they were just scoring so many goals. Um, you know the um, the general. St- the general style of the team was pretty well set. They didn't suffer that many injuries through the year. Now, these days, you have a matchday squad of 18 and you've got probably another four or five players. So you'd, most squads are 23, 24. But I think in those days, with, with only one sub, it was probably a squad of about 15, 16, maybe maximum 17, 18 players used through the whole season. Um, and just they got so far ahead through this, this blistering run in sort of the autumn through to around early February that... I think it probably was a case of, um, well, firstly, it was probably unrealistic to expect them to to maintain that. And secondly, um, they probably had got things sewn up and the foot probably did come off the gas a little bit. I, I do remember one of the one of the losses quite late on in the season. I think Preston, who you, you mentioned, I think came as runners-up in that season. Um, we played away to them on a Friday night at Deep Down and it was on a plastic, they, they had a plastic pitch at the time. Right. I know there was a fair bit of debate about did they offer them, a, you know, them an unfair advantage in the home game. So that you could maybe account for that. But I just think it was they were that far ahead and that much better than the rest of the league. The league was done and dusted well before time. And it was probably just, you know, difficult to maintain such a big intensity once they realistically got the league title one. Yeah, you mentioned some big wins there. I mean, uh, just looking through these fixtures, that I mean, the first major win, if you like, was was away at Halifax, and it was a six-three win. And to do that away from home is incredible. Yeah, it, it, that sort of summed up the side. Really, they were free scoring, perhaps conceded a few too many goals than you would expect side that were that dominant to do, but they just scored so many. You know, the the, the general method was. They had two really good strikers, Trevor Morley, who Graham Carr, he plucked a lot of his players out of non-league football, Nuneaton Borough in particular. Um, he signed Morley from Nuneaton and he was a very, very good player. He was on his way up, went on to play for the likes of West Ham and Manchester City. Um, probably he looked like he was destined for even better things when he was at, at Northampton. He he played up front alongside Ian Benjamin. Benjamin was a real craftsman, very intelligent player, um, scored his fair share of goals, but also helped create others. And often the ball would go up to Morley and Benjamin and they'd hold it up and then Richard Hill had come charging through from midfield just I'm sure it's worth it you know it's worth some time looking on YouTube without while football's not going on but the the amount of times he just picked the ball up in midfield and ran through the opposition and he he was just too strong and quick and powerful and um, they had quality on either wing Dave Gilbert was on the left with a wand of a left foot and Eddie McGoldrick on the right who went on to play for Arsenal and Crystal Palace, of course, and actually reinvented himself as a centre-back as his career went on. But at the time, he, he was a winger. Um, those two delivering things. And um, yeah, it was just it was just far too much for just about any other side in Division 4 to cope with. You mentioned a few of those players there. Richard Hill got 29 goals in all, all uh, games that season, which is a fantastic res- return for any footballer, um, but especially for a midfielder. I mean, no one apart from Frank Lampard comes to mind uh, to get that sort of goal scoring streak. Uh, who was your favourite player that season? Do you, did you have a favourite or was it just, do you know what, all of them were sold to the earth? Um, it, it was, they were that dominant. You sort of, you, you enjoyed all of them. I think Morley was probably the one. He, he was, um, he just seemed to have that little bit of artistry that, that really took the side up to the next level. Um, he, he was a 
hugely influential player. He was captain. Um, he actually got injured in an FA Cup game at Newcastle in January, a, a game that um, it was supposed to be on, I think it was third round. I think it was the third round. It was due to be on a Saturday and the game got postponed because of a frozen pitch. And then it was quite a cold winter that, that year and the game got postponed a couple more times and from taking this huge away following that was set to go to St James's Park I in the end couldn't go because it was rearranged for a midweek night and obviously at the time at school so it sort of reduced the listening to the game on the radio at home and um, Morley actually got injured in that, that third round time when it was played a knee ligament injury and then when he was out from sort of late January onwards the just the progress stalled a little bit while the, the, the side missed him he came back late late on in the season um, but being the captain and just sort of being a, having such a fantastic season, he wasn't the top scorer, as you mentioned Richard Hill was, but I think Morley was probably the player who just epitomised what that, what that particular squad was all about. What, one other notable, noticeable thing that, that I found here is that we, we did the double over the posh, a nice early home win, 2-1, and then later on going to London Road and, and beating them there as well. Um, so, it, it was an all-round sort of season of celebration, I would imagine. Then beating you, you know, the local rivals both home and away, and then winning the league. Um, it must have made for for some season. Yeah, it did. You know, and when when I think the public cottoned on to um, what was going on, that the, the away followings and the home crowds just just shot up. You know, I remember huge away following went to Peterborough for that. That that game, I think we won one nearly, and Benjamin, I remember scoring Wakeley Gage. Former Cobblers defender was in the Peterborough defence that day. I remember a huge following going away to Molyneux for a league game against Wolves um, a month or two later. Um, and I also recall there was a game between Christmas and New Year against Cardiff City. It was on a Sunday, and I think over 11,000 packed into the county ground. Um, kickoff had to be delayed for a while. I can't remember how long, but because of the crowds queuing outside and um, just swept Cardiff aside 4-1. They had their keeper sent off early on and I think Richard Hill burst through from midfield in his trademark style and the keeper came racing out of goal and, and fouled him and got sent off and um, that just that just opened the, the floodgates then for, a, I think it was a 4-1 victory. So um, it, it was a real, um, yeah, just a, a you know a season where the, the town got behind the team and they were playing... Um, you know, such dominant football. It wasn't necessarily um, a pass and move style. It was just based on power. Um, and, and you couldn't argue with the results they were getting, the, the goals they were scoring. It, it was just phenomenal. And um, they sort of carried it on into the next season. We were, I think we were just a point or two off making the playoffs in the third tier, Division Three in those days, what is League One now. Um, that in itself would have caused issues because in those days, sharing the county ground with Northampton cricket the uh, football season had to be over by th- April the 30th so there was no chance of playing playoff games at home and I think they'd already got things um, sorted out with West Brom to actually use the Hawthorns for a playoff semi-final home leg but like, in, in this particular season there were no such concerns that the, the Cobblers were so far ahead so early that it was almost like a, a six-month procession through to the um, winning the title and um, you know I think the season ended at Wrexham um, on the last day of the season, I think a typical big away following, uh, you know, three goals, I believe, and just a yeah, a, a dominant season en- ended in a dominant way. Do you remember anything particularly about the county ground that season? You, you talked about how many people were actually going along, 11,000 for one match you mentioned. Um, 
what what stand were you, were you allowed in the hotel end at the age that you were? Um, my, I I probably could have gone, but um, at that age, I took the um, option, the safer option, to to head into the family enclosure, which was, but by this point, for those who remember, the Meccano stand had been built. So you had the hotel end, then you came around the corner to some terrace down the side, then you had the players tunnel, then the Meccano stand, then you had a smaller part of terracing, which was called the family enclosure, which was just uncovered terracing. There was no roof, there were no facilities. It was just an area where I think younger supporters stood with their parents and you could sort of watch the game because by the time the crowds were increasing, the the hotel end was getting pretty full and you would have surges towards the front whenever a goal went in. It it almost sounds crazy saying this sort of thing these days with the current, you know, health and safety guidelines and following on from Hillsborough and things like that. But this was mid 1980s before Hillsborough, before high school, before any of that. And, um, yeah, the, the hotel, and that's where the atmosphere was, but that's where the, you know, the, the huge crowds were. So I took the safer option and watched from the, the family enclosure, which was um, a, a pound a pound admission. So I probably spent £23 seeing a season of, I don't know how many goals it was at home. It was probably around 60 or 70 and plenty of wins. So, um, you know, fantastic value. And I say, although I'd been to matches occasionally up to that point, this was the season that I was really hooked and went to, just about every home game and a handful of away games. I went to that win at Peterborough. I went to the game at Wolves. Um, there, there was a few others. I think Stockport away, we we won 3-0 on a Monday night quite randomly, but I, I think that was in half term, so I went to that. Um, and yeah, it was just a season. And I always remember my dad, who's no, no longer with us, unfortunately, but he said to me, make the most of this season because you'll probably never see another one like it again in all your life. And at the time, as a 13-year-old guy, <laughs> that you know we're, we're the coppers we're on we're on the march we're going to charge our way up through the divisions no one can stop us we'll be in the first division in four years you know he doesn't know what he's talking about but um, <laughs> unfortunately I'm sorry to say he was proved right <laughs> <laughs> well at least you got a, another season you did get a second season almost the same with with Chris Wilder's team um, maybe from a different viewpoint being an employee of the club but you know he wasn't he wasn't 100% right your dad in that respect no no um, as you say it's pro- that Chris Wilder season is the closest we've had to it. The the Graham Cast season was just almost like a steamrolling from start to finish, no doubt, no question. I think the Chris Wilder season was a took a little bit longer to actually get the momentum going. You know, I think back the the, the Chris Wilder season, I actually um, quite early on in the season, I think we lost a, a home game. I think it might have been to Dagenham. I'm talking off purely off memory here but um and i remember at the time there was quite a bit of criticism around and you know questions were being asked and the mood was actually quite quite low and quite down and then of course the the form on the pitch did pick up and then the the off the field problems but it was probably only once those off the field problems had been resolved in sort of november that i think the season went into into the fast lane and, and just took off whereas the car season probably took off a lot quicker and probably petered out just naturally because they couldn't sustain, no one would have sustained it for the whole season. Whereas the Chris Wilder season probably started slower, but came stronger as time went on. Yeah. I I think I often sort of say that I I wonder had the off the field issues not happened uh, in late 2015, would we have ended up having the season that we had, you know, had that just been a, another normal 
year in the life of Northampton Town, would we have you know made it even made even the playoffs? I mean, it's one of those. Whereas with the car season, it was just momentum, wasn't it? We'd we'd finished eighth the season before, so so Graham Carr was already you know starting to aim towards that sort of promotion berth yeah. anyway. Yeah, he had. You, when Carr came in, you're going back a few years. Um, older supporters might remember Graham Carr picked the side up when we were really struggling with. Um, Tony Barton, who'd won the European Cup with Aston Villa in the early 80s, was actually Northampton Town manager for for a while. It wasn't going to successfully. I think he had a heart attack or had heart problems and he had to step back. Um, Clive Walker took things over, but things were, were, were struggling. And Graham Carr came in and finished one season strongly to get the club out of what was then re-election danger. Um, it was an automatic promotion and relegation. You had to have a, you were submitted to a vote from the football league clubs to see if they would relegate you and allow the winners of the non-league into the league. But Graham Carr got us out of that problem. He then had a season of sort of a a good progressive season, just above mid table. And then the following season with a few more additions from non-Eaton and non-league, Trevor Morley perhaps being a key one, the squad was, was equipped to to go on the fantastic run run that we did. I think with, with the Chris Wilder season, the, Another reason why the momentum probably picked up is that if we recall, Ricky Holmes missed most of the first half of the season then through injury and he got back fit around November, December time. And he really was a, a key man. He would often turn a draw into a win or a loss into a draw just with a piece of magic or he'd create a goal or score a goal out of nothing. And I think it was probably the culmination of the off the field problems being resolved and Ricky's um, return to fitness. I remember he scored a goal at Luton, I think around just before Christmas where um, he, he was coming on as a sub because he was building his fitness up. And I think we'd just been pegged back to three, three and he got the ball on halfway. And I'm sure everyone remembers the goal. He drove forward and curled a brilliant finish in from about 20, 25 yards. And I think, that was perfect because we were going well and then we had almost like the the superstar of that season, if you like, getting fit just as as the off-the-field problems were resolved. And so you had the double momentum boost of Ricky becoming fit and the club's future being resolved. And really from there, it was just takeoff. Fabulous. So if you could sum up that 86-87 title winning season in, in three words, Gareth, what, what would they be? Uh, fun. Fantastic. Memorable. Thank you, Gareth. That was brilliant. Taking us all the way back to 1986-87. A thoroughly enjoyable time being a Cobblers fan, I'm sure. Thank you very much for listening. That's it for this first episode of Memory Lane. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've got lots more memories from many more fans to come over the course of the next few weeks. So please subscribe to the podcast. It's on the same feed as the main show. It's all cobblers to me. Uh, It's available everywhere. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Spotify, Google. It's on our website too, cobblerstome.com. Give us a review if you can. That would be absolutely perfect. And if you really can afford it and, and to help us through... I won't lie, to help me through these uncertain times, then you can sponsor the podcast. You can help sponsor us at patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. It'd be a great help. Um, Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with the the rest of the gang, hopefully, for a a normal episode. Um, But for this episode of Memory Lane, thanks for listening and goodbye. Support the podcast on Patreon by joining the It's All Cobblers to Me fan club. 
Every month, you'll receive access to exclusive bonus content, such as our Meet the Staff series, hear our player interviews before anyone else, and be invited to regular meetups. By joining the fan club, you'll be helping us to continue our sponsorship of NTFC women's player Abby Bruin and enable us to keep the podcast and all our other content going to the high standards you expect. To join the fan club, go to patreon.com forward slash cobblers to me. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.